In today's global economy, we can connect anywhere to anyone. This provides us with tremendous opportunities to refine our careers and lifestyles. Want to escape your boring nine to five job and bring your ideas to fruition while living out your dreams? Listen up, because freedom is the new rich. And this is The Power of Thought with Brandon Webb. All right, everybody, welcome back to Power Thought, episode 56. Uh, today, I have Josh Anderson on. He's a real estate entrepreneur since 2006, creator of the Anderson Group. And last calendar year, closed uh, $86 million in real estate uh, transactions, so pretty impressive. Also, uh, a, a fellow veteran. Um, I've also had the pleasure of uh, being in Bagram uh, back in... God, I was in Bagram back in 2002 and the massive earthquake. Uh, it was pretty yeah. wild. We might have been there at the same time. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be sure to post your links and everything. But uh, welcome to the show, Josh. And yeah. you and I, were, as you and I were talking before we started rolling tape, I would love to just get into your origin story, like where you grew up, kind of what, yeah. what brought you into the army, and then, you know, how, mm-hmm. how you got into uh, the real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so yeah, just backstory, um, grew up in Nashville. Uh, well, actually I'm from Nashville. I didn't, I didn't grow up here. So I lived here until I was 10 years old, uh, moved to Louisiana. Um, my parents or my dad is, is a farmer and bought a 3000 acre plantation. Um, so we kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere, had to drive, you know, 35 minutes to, to, uh, school every day and, um, had to work on the farm. So, uh, that was that was actually looking back on it. I really appreciate that that upbringing, but I hated it when I was there. Um, all I wanted to do was go to town and like go to the mall and do things that normal kids do. And and they all wanted to come out and ride four wheelers <laughs> and horses and all that good stuff. But yeah, so I grew up in Louisiana. I went to LSU, um, graduated uh, in two thousand four and moved back to Nashville. Uh, in between all of that time, I, I did, I spent a year after 9-11 in Bagram, Afghanistan. Um, that was not where I was planning on going that summer. Uh, and it <laughs> turned into a year. Uh, I had a, I had my Eurorail passes and my flights and everything paid for with my two best friends to go to Europe for 45 days and just backpack and stay at hostels. And we had 15 cities, three days per city, uh, fly into London, out of Paris and everywhere in between. And uh, I got a phone call. I was walking to the last final of my junior semester. And uh, so it was one of those things that uh, that's where I ended up going. So, and it was, it, I was not real happy about it, but it was a great experience somewhere. I'll probably never go again. Were you in the reserves then? Was that like, how did that pop up? Yeah. I was, yeah. I was in the national guard. So okay. I, I did, um, going back to the military, I graduated high school in 1998 yep. and I came home one day and just told my parents I joined the military and they were like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> yeah, they were, they were pretty pissed off about it, but I was, I was smart enough to know I wasn't ready for college. I'll like, we'll yeah. leave it there. So yeah. I was smart enough to know that I, if I'd gone directly from high school to college, I probably wouldn't have 
made it more than a semester or so. Yeah, so. it's. Uh, I, I had a similar experience. It's almost like self imprisonment, right? Like I know yeah. I need this. It's going to be good for me, and I'm just going to sign, and and I, I won't be able to get out of it. That's right. Nice. So, um, so yeah, did that, and um, and then came back. I guess came back from from uh, Afghanistan and finished up college, and moved back to Nashville in 2004. Um, worked at an investment bank and then a private client asset firm in the financial industry for about a year, year and a half. And totally, to be totally frank, I was miserable and didn't like it. And yeah. I think when you graduate college, I had this sexy idea of what I was going to be doing as a, in the financial world. And I wasn't, you know, I, I think the big piece, I wasn't really being challenged. I wasn't being mentored. Um, I wasn't really learning what I thought I was learning what I should be learning. Um, I was making $31,000 a year and which doesn't really matter, except if you're making $31,000 in Nashville, you really can't live. And so I at least wanted to be mentored and trained and like really learning or being coached or, you know, consulted with, and I, I wasn't learning anything. So in the meantime, I was getting my real estate license because I wanted to buy an investment property. And uh, one day I just came in and said, Hey, I'm putting in my two weeks. And they kind of, they were a little bit surprised by that, I think. And, uh, so that was in April of 2006 that I got my license and just kind of started in the business and have been doing it ever since. So are you focused on on commercial or like multifamily properties? Like what's your So I, so I do all residential. Okay. Um, we work with a lot of investors that do multifamily. I really don't touch any commercial property. I do all residential and work with some builders and developers and um, investors that are buying multifamily or, you know, fix and flips or, um, Airbnbs. Okay. Got it. I mean, I just intuitively, I would guess that Nashville's got a pretty good growing you know, yeah. residential real estate just because of a lot of the, the tax incentives brought in. Like, I, I, I know yeah. Nissan and a few other big, big companies, right? Yeah. And you've also got, um, a lot less, um, so you don't have state income tax, which is a big thing. Um, and you also have a lot lower property taxes than you have in places like Chicago and LA. And, um, yeah, so we've got Amazon coming here with 5,000 jobs. Um, we've got Alliance Bernstein out of New York that's coming here with 5,000 jobs. Um, Ernst and Young just, uh, said they're, they're having 400 jobs come here. Apple music will be here next year. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies. Icy just, uh, announced that they're, changing their their headquarters uh, to Nashville, which is very random. But, you know, there's just lots of companies that are headed here. And, and so it's really good for the residential and the commercial market. N- Nashville also, like, is the place to be now, you know, if you do music. Not, and not just country music. Well, it's always been country music and people think. So when I moved back, when I was leaving college, all my most people that at LSU, if they don't stay in Louisiana, they go to Houston, Dallas, or Atlanta. And so I told them I was going to Nashville. And these are friends that from high school. And they were like, do you play some kind of instrument, like country music that we don't know about? And, and, and so there's this big perception that it's just country music. And really, it's, it's a little bit of everything, to be honest. And there's a lot of, you know, you'll see Steven Tyler will be walking around downtown. And I mean, there's just, everybody comes here. And it's kind of the it city right now. And it's fun. It's just crazy how much it's changed in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, there's so there's this girl I know who fronted this band called My Arcadia, and she was on The Voice, got really far. 
uh, if I remember correctly, was on Blake Shelton's team and like moved to Nashville to do music full time, which she's not doing anymore. But that's like a common story. Yeah, and, I mean, I mean, it's why probably there. Apple Music is moving yeah. to Nashville too. But but to your point, I mean, I've been in Nashville on and off for the last five years, and every time I go, I'm just amazed that it's a cool, got a cool downtown, cool scene. Yeah, uh, you know, if I stayed. I went to. Uh, we were going to that NRA conference where they do their big conference, I think every year in Nashville. Um, but stayed in an Airbnb just outside of the city. It was like amazing little downtown area. Yeah. Um, but affordable too, you know, in, in perspective, you know, when you look at pers- keeping perspective in place, places like New York where half a million dollars gets you a studio, yeah. <laughs> a, a 320 yeah. square foot studio. Uh, that's which is crazy. I don't, I'm sure that's going to go a lot more, uh, yeah, a long, other, you know, long way in Nashville. There's some cool, cool other, uh, companies, you know, Beretta came here and, and there's just, a, with regard to the firearms piece, there's lots of cool tactical and outdoors, yeah. uh, type companies. So, before I get into more like how the Anderson group, but just a couple of questions, like what, what's your most challenging experience? And I would say three, three points in your life, like pre high school, college, college slash military. And then, you know, biggest challenge since you left, you know, left yeah. that finance world and started your own business. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'd say the, the one that sticks out is probably the uncertainty of going into the military and then going to a, another country that um, nobody that I knew had been to before. <laughs> and, and just not knowing really, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty around what was, you know, what was going on then. I mean, we were, we were six months after, after nine 11. So we weren't really sure what we were going to be doing. Um, we were part of the, even though we were national guard, we were attached to the, uh, 82nd Airborne, and we were part of the Hydrema team, which most people don't know what a Hydrema is. But um, we went in and blew up all the bombs that the Russians had had sewn into the ground yeah. uh, back in the 80s. And um, w- one of the guys from our unit that was uh, he he ended up getting a little bit careless and stepping outside the tracks and got his leg blown off. And That's you know wild. a lot a lot of you know our unit was really a combat heavy engineer unit so yeah. we were building roads and infrastructure and so you uh, were there what what months in o2 like so i was there from may until uh, i guess it was a little bit more it was more like 8 or 9 months after 911 but i was there from may until may may okay. 2002 to may 2003 okay yeah i would have just missed you then cuz i was there um god when was we were there until i think March, February, March, 2002. Gotcha. Uh, but headquartered, we were task force K bar down in Kandahar, but we'd come up to Bagram yeah. all the time, just do all sorts of crazy stuff. So like two thirds of our unit was in Bagram and then the rest, another hundred or so guys were in Kandahar. Yeah. Cause, uh, I remember when the, it was the, uh, I don't know if it was the 82nd that took it over from the Marines, but man, when the arm, when big army came in, <laughs> Yeah. It just got like we got chow, we got you know, all sorts of infrastructure. Before we were just like living like like uh, Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, man. <laughs> fending for ourselves. Uh, cool. Okay. So, and what about um, you know one of your most challenges ex- challenging experiences? You know, kind of leaving that corporate job and 
and starting your own real estate practice? I think, again, it's kind of the, um, it was the excitement, but also the uncertainty of, you know, you're, and, and I think the reason a lot of people don't get into a hundred percent commission jobs or become an entrepreneur or business owner is you don't know when your next paycheck's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think challenge wise, it's definitely shifted over the last 13 years I've been in the business, but that was the initial uncertainty of knowing when you're going to get paid. And I already owned a house and, you know, I just kind of went all in and, and did it. And I, you know, one of the things, you know, y'all's freedom is the new rich. You know, one of the things I would say is I would never go back to being an employee. Yeah. Um, no, nothing personal. It's just for me, like, I love the relationship building. I love the, um, looking and digging for other properties and the competition, the negotiations. Um, there's just so many things I love about, um, and, and there's also things that you, I never got into the business to be a manager. I never got into the business to necessarily have employees and do some of those things. Um, you know, my challenge these days is finding awesome people to be in business with, because yeah. when I break my business down or I, when I break my day down or my life down, I look at it and go, I get to spend, you know, about a third of my life sleeping and a third of my life working and a third of my life doing personal family stuff. And so if I'm spending a third of my life at work, I want them to be really awesome, kick-ass people that I work with. Yeah. And so that's the challenge is finding really good, solid people that aren't entitled, that have a good attitude, that are coachable, that we can really get into business with and enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm at the same point in my life where I call it the NAC rule. It's like no asshole clause. <laughs> Just, yeah. Life is too short, right? Um, and I think one of the the things because we, you know, a big part of this audience, um, you know, we have people that are entrepreneurial or, or want to make that shift. But the one thing I love about real estate, in my my quick background in real estate, I was buying investment properties in San Diego during like a good time, right? It was just that massive real estate boom before the housing market collapsed in 08. Um, but I, I eventually, I was so frustrated that, you know, it it was like the stripper down the street was getting her real estate license, you know, had taken the test five times, finally passed, but you, you just weren't getting many, you weren't getting access to really good representation in the real estate market there. Cause it was exploding. And, you know, I think even, it was the same way everywhere. Yeah. By the way. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you experienced it. But in my frustration was even on the on the other side of the transaction is is it something you can't always control, right? The represent represent oh. representing agent or broker. And so I just got my license. I went and took all the classes online and got my California real estate license and just started representing myself. Um but I love real estate. Like it was something that I'd considered um you know, going in, going into real estate for sure. Part of my long-term, um, you know, financial planning process. And I, I manage my own money, but is, is real estate. It's like 90% of my investment strategy. It's just such a great investment. Um, but, but anyway, yeah. um, so I, and that's part of the problem is like the barriers to entry to real estate is so low that, yeah. Any, I mean, with about two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars for the classes and the tests and everything, you can make an unlimited potential, which is awesome. But you've also got, you know, stay at home moms that are doing it, people that you would never let represent you do it. I mean, yeah. You know, so, and, and to that point, I think, you know, buyer beware, right? Like you really, for people listening that are 
that are considering buying a home or want to get into it, you know, it's a very different than, you know, a true real estate professional, very different than someone's kind of dabbling um, well, on the side. But I, I think the point I was trying to make before I went on my, my real estate tangent was it, it is a relatively easy transition to make for somebody that, that can kind of, you know, maybe save up a little bit of money and, and then join a team like yours where you have this infrastructure and support Sure. Um, to, to kind of, and, and even though you're, you know, working in say a, a team like the Anderson group, it's, it's incredibly entrepreneurial. Like you set your own schedule, you just kind of, you know, you have a ton of autonomy, which I think is, which is amazing. And I, and I see living in a city like, like New York more and more, I'm seeing not only these commercial office, uh, the ground floor retail in New York right now is a bloodbath because of e-commerce. Like no one's, no one's shopping on Broadway for, you know, a discount shoe buying experience. They're going to go to Zappos or, or Amazon. Um, but also the, the office spaces, the commercial office spaces in New York are becoming harder and harder to rent out because more and more people like our business, we have almost a hundred staff all around the world in the country. And it's largely work from home. We have a small studio and office in New York and we bring the core management team in quarterly to kind of like a quarterly check-in, which includes our head developer, Chris, in the Philippines, but we're work from home. Like, and, yeah. and once people have a taste of that, it is, I mean, I don't, it's, Ian can attest to it. He used to work yeah, at Sirius XM. So. <laughs> you would never go back to like a nine to five, right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, unless the circumstances were like amazing yeah. yet, no, I, I highly <laughs> doubt it. I, it, 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 it is would, great. Yeah. It would have to be insane for me to go back somewhere and, you know, there's, yeah, exactly. there's definitely pros and cons. I mean, know? I try to say never, you know, never say never to anything, yeah. but it is true. It's a total, yeah. but as we've said before, it's not, it's also not for everybody. I've noticed some people yeah, like not. need someone to tell them what task to do yeah. at what time. And if you're not self-motivated, you're going to fall behind in any entrepreneurial endeavor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we do have a lot of uh, military. Uh, I'd, I'd say probably half of our workforce, former, former military, they're just self-starters. They can get stuff done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And probably to be honest, the, probably the best workers I've had come from the, uh, the army, believe it or not. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know what it is that I've had the worst luck with the guys that have been in the special ops community and I, I won't go into that. <laughs> I'll save yeah. that for another show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole different level of the military. There's yeah. The- and, and I think honestly, I mean, the short version is I think a lot of the, the special operations community had just been overtasked, right? Like we've, yeah. my opinion should have pulled out of Afghanistan, 2003, 2004. These guys just keep getting sent back. And guys I know, I used to know, I don't know anymore because they've just been overexposed to combat and trauma, like 15, 20 deployments too much. It, it could also be, I think some people, I mean, as you said, not to get into the whole thing, but can't put their ego aside and you've said it before where it's like, well, Brandon, I've had more combat deployments than you, but that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I get that a lot. Military life, <laughs> you know, it, when yeah, no, it's, it doesn't matter. And, and I think, I mean, the big part of my personal transition was, you know, and I was active duty for 13 years. It was, you're on, I mean, you know, this from serving in the, in the guard, guys that are wearing that black ranger scroll or the seal pin, you know, they get treated with a lot of respect. You're, you're kind of, you're at this, you know, pedestal of the military community 
And that doesn't mean shit when you're on the outside. And so you go from this like incredibly important status and, and then one day you're out in the civilian world and people don't even know the difference between a, a tab and a scroll scrolled ranger. Right. And, and so you're just out and, and I think guys really struggle from the special ops community. Some, some do incredibly well. The guys that can translate their skills appropriately have done incredible things. But I would say 90% of the guys that I know just are really struggling. And that, that's, that's a shame. Yeah. And that's a whole nother, whole nother show in itself. But, um, but yeah, I definitely, um, you know, I, I appreciate what, what veterans that we bring on staff, what they bring, cause they're just like self-driven. They can get shit done. You know, you know, they're just, they're all about results and they realize like, like you don't, it's not about punching the clock nine to five. It's like, what are you doing with those hours that matter? Right. I don't care if you work two hours, as long as you get, get results. Yeah. And that's what I tell the, that's what I tell my team all the time is I don't care how many hours you're here. It's about your, the skill set, And you know, if you can do it in two hours, great. As long as it's done right. Yeah. Can you tell us, just get dig into a little bit of, of how you kind of created the Anderson group and how big your team is, maybe management yeah. philosophy, whatever you want to share with us? Yeah. You know, I, so, so when I started the Anderson group, I, I never had, or, or when I got into the business, I never really had in any intention of building a team. You know, my thought was always, I might have an assistant and just kind of be a sole proprietor and and run it like that. And, you know, at about year three, I started getting a lot of referrals and I was, I was just kind of blowing and going and really doing a, a decent amount of business. And that's when I knew I had to bring on a full-time assistant and I had to bring on a uh, buyer's agent to help me take off some, some of that stuff off of my plate as far as showings. And, and that's really where people get bogged down is all the showings. And yeah. you, you can show a hundred houses to a buyer that isn't sure if you're not asking the right questions, yeah. what they want. So, um, so about 2011 is when I really started building the team and kind of getting dialed in on systems and processes. And, and I've always had the systems and processes, but I've never, it wasn't, uh, as dialed in until toward the end of 2011. Started really putting a system in place for everything that I had to do more than once and so, um, that piece of it, that's a big piece of it. I think that differentiates us is because we really are run about 80% of our business is customer service uh, or is uh, referrals from all the customer service and the high, high level of touch that we give to our clients. Um, but that's where I just kind of said, you know, you got to build it and you got to have systems and processes in place to, to really run it like a business rather than just being a realtor. Yeah. Um, so we have, we have seven agents that are on the team and then we have seven administrative people. Nice. So not a, not a huge team. Um, we're, you know, our goal this year is to kind of crest over that hundred million mark. And, um, that really is just going to be done by referrals from past clients and doing a great job for them. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that's great. I, I mean, I sometimes like admire these, like the small teams that are able to, to deliver a, a lot of revenue. Um, like even Craigslist is a, is a great example. I think it's literally like two, three guys generating hundreds of millions of revenue and they just haven't changed it cause they haven't needed to, to change the, uh, the format. It just works, but yeah, relevant. yeah that's, that's crazy. Um, so 
really like the last big question I wanted to ask you was, so somebody that is considering a career change, you know, from, from your experience kind of transitioning, like what would, what would the advice be to someone like that, that wants, wants to switch into a, a different career because it's something you did, right? You put in your two weeks notice. I, I've done the same thing. I, I lost a business, went to work in the defense industry for L3 communications, made an incredible amount of money, like um, high six figures, but, but was miserable, right? I had to put on the suit and tie and you know that the world of defense, yeah. <laughs> it's just brutal. Sleeping in, you know, I was in business development. It was like sleeping in the same, you know, Radisson Inn suites and, you know, Fayetteville yeah. <laughs> as, as you know, it was just the same hotel, same crappy painting hanging up on the wall. Um, but I left that, but what, what's your advice for somebody that that's kind of like want, wants to, to make that switch into something else more entrepreneurial? I'd say one of the, one of the first things I would do is really reach out or seek out the top two or three people that in, in that industry that you want to be in and grab coffee or lunch with them figure out what that looks like initially, and then figure out kind of reverse engineer what that transition plan looks like. I mean, is it, you know, is it a six month transition? Is it a, is it a year? And knowing that you have to have a certain amount of money as a startup, just start saving an extra $500 a month or $200 a month. And, you know, and, and that's the big piece. Like a lot of people can't just quit their job and go do that. I was lucky enough to, I had $5,000 to my name, which is very little money, but it was, I didn't have kids and I wasn't married. So it made it a lot easier than me doing it now where I have, you know, a wife and a wife and two kids. Um, so I understand that people can't do it, but there's, there's, there are a ton of people in the pharmaceutical industry, for example, that would be amazing real estate consultants, um, you know, or, or great realtors that just can't do it because they're on that, they're kind of on that company's tit as yeah. far as the salary. So they're making 60 salary as a, as a, a base salary. And then they're getting their bonuses and they've got their car paid for and 401k and dental and vision and all the other stuff. That's a big deal for somebody. If they need five grand a month is just paying the mortgages and living. That's, that's hard to transition unless they have a certain amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That, that's great advice, man. How, how old are your kids? Seven and nine, two boys. Nice. Yeah, I have 12, 14, 17, just turned 17. You're like in the thick of it. Yeah, it's, you know what? They're kind of on autopilot now. Um, I mean, I'm just blown away. Um, I'm, I'm happily divorced and have a great relationship with, with their mom. We were kind of the classic, you know, m- young military couple that gets married right away because you want the, you know, yeah, I went to war. She was in college and, you know, it just made sense right at the time. But I think the military has some bad incentives in place because you get extra pay. You can live off base if you get married, um, which I would change if I was in charge. But, um, yeah, my kids are amazing. Like their mom and I like pinch herself all the time. I mean, my son came to me last year. He's like, here's my plan for summer. I'm going to Stanford speech and debate camp. I'm studying abroad after I go to Morocco with on a school trip, I'm going to study abroad in Spain and f- finish up my fluency in Spanish. And then I'll meet you in Europe for a week. <laughs> I was like, all right, that sounds good, buddy. Yeah. So he just got named uh, academic all American for, for speech and debate. He's like a speech and debate champion. So 
Yeah, which I was not good in school. Like I was, I was definitely not the. I was on and off homeschooled. My dad kicked me out when I was sixteen. Like it was a whole different story. But I love having kids. I would. My friend Lanny Basham, who I've talked about on the show, we should have Lanny on too, Ian. Oh yeah, he was he was amazing. Yeah, Lanny was actually Army AMU guy, um, silver medalist, and and came back losing the gold really he said it was his to lose and had this like breakdown in the his first olympics but developed this mental management program in the 70s basically because he came back and all the prominent sports psychologists at the time were like oh it's okay lanny it's okay you we're gonna make you really good with the fact that you're second place and he's like no 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 that's crazy like i want to know what the champions like what are the mindset of the champions so he because he was on the Olympic team, went and surveyed all the Olympic athletes and all the gold medalists. He's like, I only want to, to your point about picking the top two, three people in your industry, he picked only the gold medalists, the hundred people that would return his call and then developed this system of mental management. But he wrote a book called Parenting Champions that um, your, I mean, your boys are like prime, prime time age. And it's all about positive psychology, positive imprinting, and really helping your kids give them the right tools to fend off the negativity. Right. Cause you and I know even the, the best it's tough being a coach. I coach little league and it's like one of the most thankless jobs, right? Like I remember my most talented kid on the team. Um, God, this kid was just a maniac. Um, like would make like a double and triple play every game. Like the kid was just on fire he yeah. was so focused because he was deaf the first, I think five years of his life. And then he got the cochlear implant, but this, I mean, this kid hopefully will go on to play in the pros, but his parents were like doctor investment banker. And they would show up like halfway through the game and start yelling at me. Why isn't my son in shortstop? And I'm like, well, he was there the first part, <laughs> the first four innings, you know, but um, the point is even coaches and teachers, I've seen some of the things they say to our children and I'm like, how could you say that to the kid? You know, yeah. they're trying to pigeonhole them and, and certain things. Oh, you're good at this. You're not good at that. Um, but yeah, I would, if you're, uh, if you're, I'm guessing you're, you're into that kind of stuff, but parenting champions. Um, in fact, if you just send me your, send me your address, I'll, I'll send you a copy from Lanny, but he's great. I mean, I've used it, his system on, on my kids from very, very early on, just kind of ta- goal setting, helping them, you know, fend off the, the self-talk, the negative self-talk and then all the bullshit that a lot of adults who, you know, were the worst at passing on our own fears and insecurities to other people. But anyway, sure. um, good stuff. All right, Josh. Yeah. Thanks, man. Have a great day. Thanks right, you again, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah. See you. All right. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed Josh's story. Uh, pretty cool. I thought he gave some really good advice about, you know, choosing the top two, three people in the industry. Um, it's definitely saving a little bit. I think that's one thing they don't teach enough in school, um, which as far as like personal finance, I think a lot of adults kind of scale up their expenses as their income goes up. Um, and that's something to really think about long term. And look, I was guilty until my late 20s of really not saving much. Um, until I realized, you know, like most cases, you get older and realize the consequences. Um, you know, personally, I think six months tucked away um, at a minimum, three months 
which is kind of the, the status quo, but saving that little bit extra a month. I mean, say when you really like add up small things too, like how much, if you're buying Starbucks once a day for five and spending $5 a day, you know, what's five times, five times 30, right? 150 bucks a month just on coffee. And you start cutting stuff like that back and just putting it away. Um, it adds up over time and, you know, then you can kind of have a little bit of a cushion as you transition. I think real estate is one of the easiest things to transition into. If you're passionate about it and kind of want to go all in like Josh, um, ironically, it takes less money and less time to get your real estate license than it does to become a, uh, a barber. <laughs> it's the licensing is longer and more expensive. Um, and I think you, the real, the potential with real estate, you can make a, a ton more. I mean, just look at, you know, Josh, should he close 86 million last year, you know, basically take three and a half percent of that as probably like likely commissions. That's a lot of money, man. 3.5% of 86 million. It's a good business. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that show. Uh, we'll stay in touch with Josh. Love to have him back. Um, we have next week an amazing guest, uh, somebody I looked up to when I was a kid growing up uh, as a waterman in Southern California, Laird Hamilton. Uh, he's promoting his new book. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, what Laird and Gabby do with their, um, their uh, I forget the name of it now, but they have a, a basically this uh, workout program where they bring in people and really show them how to, how to get fit and look at their nutrition and workout regime um, kind of mental, is this whole extreme, mental program, extreme performance XPT, training, XPT, yeah. XPT? experience. Yeah. yeah. Extreme performance training, XPT. Um, him and his wife, Gabby run that. That is just quite a, a, quite a fit couple, right? There. Oh yeah. I mean, she was, uh, <laughs> she was on the Olympic volleyball team. Yeah. I mean, and Laird is just like a super waterman pioneer, really the big, really pushed the big wave surfing to the next level in my generation with the, the toe and stuff surfing jaws. So really excited to have Laird on the show next week. Um, and you know, before I, before I hand it off to Ian to say a few things, um, just to catch you up on, on my thing, I, I was out on the West coast, um, just spending, I took my, you guys know, we talked about it, uh, last show, took my youngest son to the NBA all-stars, uh, then was just, uh, on the West coast, just hitting the school, uh, activities, super proud of my daughter who as a freshman, uh, qualified for varsity next year on her, on the uh, high school ski team. Um, my oldest son just got named academic all American for speech and debate. I'm extremely proud of him. The kids are just doing great, but you know, and we're look not without the, the typical teenage, um, problems and, and stuff that kids, but, uh, everybody deals with that shit. Um, it's just, but I think, you know, you just got to do your best, uh, as a parent to expose your kids to as many different, um, different things as possible. I think travel is, has really been a big part of my parenting philosophy to get them out there and let them see different things, but also expose them to arts, to science. And, you know, once you start exposing them to things, they kind of find their own way. You know, I have three very different children. My youngest is into sports um, and math. He's a writer, writes for a school paper. Um, my daughter is super creative, straight A student, but, but into like movie making and arts and design. Um, and my oldest is into AI and machine learning and uh, speech and debate, super academic. Um, 
not really into sports much, um, but just amazing kids. And so it's, it's fascinating as a parent to see, see them kind of blossom into the, into their own, um, individual beings. But, uh, Ian, you had a few, a few things to add. Oh yeah. And I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, for one, I thought that was a great interview. A lot of the stuff he said was true, but, um, especially about the transition stuff, uh, transitioning from like whatever your full-time job yeah. is into that. Um, cause just speaking from experience. So my mom, went from working on wall street right out of high school which doesn't happen anymore yeah um and then she had me and the whole thing was she was like you know i'm not gonna work a normal and and working on wall street is not a nine to five it's probably more like a like eight to seven or something (laughs) nine to nine (laughs) yeah she she wanted to make sure that she could pick me up uh from school every day so when she moved to long island you know got the real estate license and everything and and you know did pick me up from school every day at three o'clock and like very quickly went on to be one of the top real estate agents on Long Island. Like my mom was at some dinner last night for Cole Banker. And I think for like the third year in a row was the top real estate agent for the company, um, which is a big company. And I mean, it, it's just, it, it seems like it's a real, it, it's not realistic to become, you know, the best at it right away. And it turns out she's a skill for it, but to be able to transition from your regular job to doing that. But the interesting thing is just, going into my mom's office growing up, there's people in there who make zero dollars and there's people in there who make millions of dollars yeah. because yeah. it's all based on commission. Yeah. So that truly is a job where you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. And I've seen people, you know, in and out of that office, having a desk, being oh, out yeah. of there because they're, they're making literally nothing. Yep. So it's, just, it's, you know, totally a job where you have to be self-driven. It's, it's funny too, because my mom, always um will be like self-deprecating with me when we get into arguments from the <laughs> she'll be like oh well i'm just a dummy i never went to college and she always will say you know but it's it's kind of funny it doesn't matter that she didn't go to college yeah, no, she's doing way example. better than yeah. most people who did yeah no and then yeah i remember um you know I, why well, i just love real estate i mean in I love one of the, my favorite books on real estate and highly recommend if you haven't read rich dad, poor dad, that's a great book. And it's like personal finance and it shows how kind of passive income and in real estate, um, can really drive a lot of, of wealth and, you know, and it's not too late, right? My dad was a business, small business owner, um, later on in his life. And I gave him that book, I think for Christmas, this was probably back in 19, 19- 98 he read it and then he saved up he basically bought a big chunk of land highly complicated deal but he was in the construction industry bought a big track of land outside jackson hole wyoming on the other side near alta uh with between alta and driggs idaho um great ski resort by the way called grand targi on ski hill road he bought this land and subdivided into i think it was 22 lots and sold them, you know, I think for like 50, 60 K and took that money, bought 32 units in Idaho falls and had that for like four or five years. I remember he was so like the property was cash flowing, but he, his biggest thing that he talked about was that the laundry he would go is his manager who lived on site, like the super would go collect the coin laundry and it was all cash. You know, my dad would get these big bags <laughs> of coins and he was like, this is the best, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm sure like hopefully no IRS agent isn't listening, but yeah, I, I likely probably not declaring the, the, 
you know, the a thousand dollar a month in laundry coin. Yeah, on the, I, uh, I would hope they're not going to go yeah. back. With <laughs> yeah. That you know, I think it's passed. Yeah, so. think but it but be he's okay. basically traded that property up two three times after that. Now owns commercial real estate, and that's his retirement. He, you know, from you know started later on, probably in his mid forties, late forties. And was able to kind of really build a nice retirement nest egg. Owns all his properties cash, and you know I, I'm guessing, but I'm I'm guessing he makes, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year in passive income. House paid for in Mexico that he built. House paid for in on the Priest Lake, Idaho, and doing good. Proud of my old man. Um, he's done well, and my mom too. You know, my mom ended up selling her business and, and retiring. But hope you guys enjoyed that show. Um, yeah, excited to have Laird on next week. Uh, look forward to that. Um, and freedom is the new rich. And my my own personal motto, I just updated my Instagram. The difficult done now, impossible by appointment only. All right, we'll see you next it's week. company motto too. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to The Power of Thought with Brandon Webb. Freedom is the new rich. Follow Brandon on Instagram and Twitter at Brandon T. Webb. And follow the show at Power of Podcasts.